Section 15 of The Blue Poetry Book, edited by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yarrow and Visited, 18.3 From Stirling Castle we had seen the mazy forth unraveled, had trod the banks of Clyde and Tay, and with the Tweed had traveled, and when we came to Clovenford, then said my winsome morrow, Whate'er betide will turn aside and see the braes of Yarrow. Let yet Yarrow folk, Frey Selkirk town, who have been buying, selling, go back to Yarrow, tis their own, each maiden to her dwelling. On Yarrow's banks let herons feed, hares couch and rabbits burrow, but we will downward with the tweed, nor turn aside to Yarrow. There's Gala Water, leader hose, both lying right before us and dryberg with the chiming tweed the lintwhites sing in chorus there's pleasant tiviot dell a land made blithe with plough and harrow why throw away a needful day to go in search of yarrow what's yarrow but a river bare that glides the dark hills under there are a thousand such elsewhere as worthy of your wonder strange words they seemed of slight and scorn my true love sighed for sorrow and looked me in the face to think I thus could speak of Yarrow. O green, said I, are Yarrow's homes, and sweet is young Yarrow's flowing. Fair hangs the apple fray, the rock, but we will leave it growing, o'er hilly path and open strath. We'll wander Scotland thorough, but though so near we will not turn into the dale of Yarrow. Let beeves and home-bred kind partake the sweets of Burnmill Meadow, the swan on still St. Mary's Lake, float double, swan in shadow. We will not see them, will not go to-day, nor yet to-morrow. Enough if in our hearts we know there's such a place as Yarrow. Be Yarrow stream unseen, unknown, it must, or we shall rue it. We have a vision of our own. Ah, why should we undo it? The treasured dreams of times long past, We'll keep them winsome morrow, for when we're there, although tis fair, twill be another yarrow. If care with freezing years should come, and wandering seem but folly, should we be loath to stir from home, and yet be melancholy? Should life be dull and spirits low, twill soothe us in our sorrow, that earth is something yet to show the bonny homes of yarrow. William Wordsworth Yarrow Visited September 1814 And is this Yarrow, this the stream, Of which my fancy cherished, So faithfully a waking dream, An image that hath perished? Oh, that some minstrel's harp were near To utter notes of gladness, And chase this silence from the air That fills my heart with sadness. Yet why? A silvery current flows with uncontrolled meanderings, nor have these eyes by greener hills been soothed in all my wanderings, and through her depths St. Mary's Lake is visibly delighted, for not a feature of those hills is in the mirror slighted. A blue sky bends o'er Yarrow Vale, save where that pearly whiteness is round the rising sun diffused, a tender, hazy brightness mild dawn of promise that excludes all profitless dejection 
though not unwilling here to admit a pensive recollection where was it that the famous flower of yarrow vale lay bleeding his bed perchance was yon smooth mound on which the herd is feeding and haply from this crystal pool now peaceful as the morning the water wraith ascended thrice and gave his doleful warning delicious is the lay that sings the haunts of happy lovers the path that leads them to the grove the leafy grove that covers and pity sanctifies the verse that paints by strength of sorrow the unconquerable strength of love bear witness rueful yarrow but thou that didst appear so fair to fond imagination doth rival in the light of day her delicate creation meek loveliness is round thee spread a softness still and holy the grace of forest charms decayed and pastoral melancholy that region left the vale unfolds rich groves of lofty stature with yarrow winding through the pomp of cultivated nature and rising from those lofty groves behold a ruin hoary the shattered front of newark's towers renowned in border story fair scenes for childhood's opening bloom for sportive youth to stray in for manhood to enjoy his strength and age to wear away in yon cottage seems a bower of bliss a covert for protection of studious ease and generous cares and every chaste affection how sweet on this autumnal day the wild wood fruits to gather and on my true love's forehead plant a crest of blooming heather and what if i enwreathed my own twere no offence to reason the sober hills thus deck their brows to meet the wintry season i see but not by sight alone loved yarrow have i won thee a ray of fancy still survives her sunshine plays upon thee thy ever youthful waters keep a course of lively pleasure and gladsome notes my lips can breathe accordant to the measure the vapors linger round the heights they melt and soon must vanish one hour is theirs nor more is mine sad thought which i would banish but that i know where'er i go thy genuine image yarrow will dwell with me to heighten joy and cheer my mind in sorrow william wordsworth sir hugh or the jew's daughter yesterday was brave hallow day and above all days of the year the schoolboys all got leave to play, and little Sir Hugh was there. He kicked the ball with his foot and kept it with his knee, and even in at the Jew's window he got the bonny flea. Out then came the Jew's daughter. Will ye come in and dine? I winna come in, and I canna come in, till I get that ball of mine. Throw down that ball to me, maiden, throw down the ball to me. I winna throw down your ball, Sir Hugh, till ye come up to me. She pud the apple fray the tree, it was baith red and green. She gave it unto little Sir Hugh, with that his heart did win. She wiled him into a chamber, she wiled him into twa, she wiled him into the third chamber, and that was warst, or ta. She took out a little penknife, hung low down by her gear. 
She twined this young thing o' oh, his life, and a word he ne'er spake mare. And first came out the thick, thick blood, and sign came out the thin, and sign came out the bonny heart's blood. There was nae mare within. She laid him on a dressing table, she dressed him like a swine. Says, lie ye there, my bonny Sir Hugh, we are apples red and green. She put him in a case of lead, says, lie ye there and sleep. She threw him into the deep draw well, was fifty fathom deep. A schoolboy walking in the garden did grievously hear him moan. He ran away to the deep draw well, and on his knee fell down. Says, Bonnie Sir Hugh, and pretty Sir Hugh, I pray you speak to me. If you speak to anybody in this world, I pray you speak to me. When bells were rung, and mass was sung, and everybody went hame, then every lady had her son, but Lady Helen had a name. She rolled her mantle her about, and sore, sore did she weep. She ran away to the Jew's castle, when all were fast asleep. She cries, Bonnie Sir Hugh, oh pretty Sir Hugh, I pray you speak to me. If you speak to anybody in this world, I pray you speak to me. Lady Helen, if ye want your son, I'll tell ye where to seek. Lady Helen, if ye want your son, he's in the well, say deep. She ran away to the deep draw well, and she fell down on her knee, saying, Bonnie Sir Hugh, oh pretty Sir Hugh, I pray ye speak to me. If ye speak to anybody in the world, I pray ye speak to me. Oh, the lead, it is wondrous heavy, mother. The well, it is wondrous deep. The little penknife sticks in my throat, and I downa to ye speak. But lift me out o' oh, this deep draw well, and bury me in yon churchyard. Put a Bible at my head, he says, and a testament at my feet, and pen and ink at every side and I'll lie still and sleep. And go to the back of Maitland Town, bring me my winding sheet, for it's at the back of Maitland Town that you and I shall meet. Oh, the broom, the bonny, bonny broom, the broom that makes full sore. A woman's mercy is very little, but a man's mercy is more. By Anonymous a Likewake Dirge This a night, this a night, Every night and all, Fire and sleet and candle light, And Christ receive thy soul. When thou from hence away art paced, Every night and all, To Winnie Moor thou comest at last, And Christ receive thy soul. Ever thou gavest hosen and shone, Every night and all. Sit thee down and put them on, And Christ receive thy soul. If hosen and shone thou never gavest nane, Every night and all. The winds shall prick thee to the bare bane, And Christ receive thy soul. From Winnie Moor when thou mayest pass, Every night and all, 
to brig a dread thou comest at last, and Christ receive thy soul. From brig a dread when thou mayest pass, every night and all, to purgatory fire thou comest at last, and Christ receive thy soul. If ever thou gavest meat or drink, every night and all, the fire shall never make thee shrink, and Christ receive thy soul. If meat or drink thou never gavest nain, every night and all, the fire will burn thee to the bare bane, and Christ receive thy soul. This a night, this a night, every night and all, fire and sleet and candle light, and Christ receive thy soul. Anonymous The Red Fisherman or the Devil's Decoy O flesh, flesh, how art thou fishified? Romeo and Juliet the abbot arose and closed his book and donned his sandal shoon and wandered forth alone to look upon the summer moon a starlight sky was o'er his head a quiet breeze around and the flowers a thrilling fragrance shed and the waves a soothing sound it was not an hour nor a scene for aught but love and calm delight yet the holy man had a cloud of thought on his wrinkled brow that night he gazed on the river that gurgled by, but he thought not of the reeds. He clasped his gilded rosary, but he did not tell the beads. If he looked to the heaven, t'was not to invoke the spirit that dwelleth there. If he opened his lips, the words they spoke had never the tone of prayer. A pious priest might the abbot seem. He had swayed the crozier well. But what was the theme of the abbot's dream, the abbot? were loath to tell. Companionless for a mile or more, he traced the windings of the shore. O beauteous is that river still, as it winds by many a sloping hill, and many a dim or arching grove, and many a flat and sunny cove, and terrace lawns whose bright arcades the honeysuckle sweetly shades, and rocks whose very crags seem bowers, so gay they are with grass and flowers. But the abbot was thinking of scenery about as much, in sooth, as a lover thinks of constancy, or an advocate of truth. He did not mark how the skies in wrath grew dark above his head. He did not mark how the mossy path grew damp beneath his tread. And nearer he came, and still more near, to a pool in whose recess the water had slept for many a year, unchanged and motionless. From the river stream it spread away the space of half a rood. The surface had the hue of clay and the scent of human blood. The trees and the herbs that round it grew were venomous and foul, and the birds that through the bushes flew were the vulture and the owl. The water was as dark and rank as ever a company pumped, and the perch that was netted and laid on the bank grew rotten while it jumped. And bold was he who thither came, at midnight, man or boy. For the place was cursed with an evil name, 
and that name was the Devil's Decoy. The abbot was weary as abbot could be, and he sat down to rest on the stump of a tree, when suddenly rose a dismal tone. Was it a song, or was it a moan? Oh ho, oh ho, above, below, lightly and brightly they glide and go. The hungry and keen on the top are leaping, the lazy and fat in the depths are sleeping. Fishing is fine when the pool is muddy, broiling is rich when the coals are ruddy. In a monstrous fright by the murky light, he looked to the left and he looked to the right. And what was the vision close before him that flung such a sudden stupor o'er him? Twas a sight to make the hair uprise, and the life-blood colder run. The startled priest struck both his thighs, and the abbey clock struck one. All alone by the side of the pool, a tall man sat on a three-legged stool, kicking his heels on the dewy sod, and putting in order his reel and rod. Red were the rags his shoulders wore, and a high red cap on his head he bore. His arms and his legs were long and bare, and two or three locks of long red hair were tossing about his scraggy neck. Like a tattered flag or a splitting wreck, it might be time or it might be trouble, had bent the stout back nearly double. Sunk in their deep and hollow sockets, that blazing couple of congreve rockets, and shrunk and shriveled that tawny skin, till it hardly covered the bones within. The line the abbot saw him throw had been fashioned and formed long ages ago, and the hands that worked his foreign vest long ages ago had gone to their rest. You would have sworn as you looked on them he had fished in the flood with ham and jam. There was the turning of keys and creaking of locks as he took forth the bait from his iron box. Minnow or gentle, worm or fly, it seemed not such to the abbot's eye. Gaily it glittered with jewel and gem, and its shape was the shape of a diadem. It was fastened a gleaming hook about, by a chain within and a chain without. The fisherman gave it a kick and a spin, and the water fizzed as it tumbled in. From the bowels of the earth strange and varied sounds had birth. Now the battle's bursting peal, neigh of steed and clang of steel now an old man's hollow groan echoed from the dungeon stone now the weak and wailing cry of a stripling's agony cold by this was the midnight air but the abbot's blood ran colder when he saw a gasping knight lie there with a gash beneath his clotted hair and a hump upon his shoulder and the loyal churchman strove in vain to mutter a paternoster, for he who writhed in mortal pain was camped that night on Bosworth Plain, the cruel Duke of Gloucester. There was turning of keys and creaking of locks as he took forth the bait from his iron box. It was a haunch of princely size, filling with fragrance earthen skies. The corpulent abbot knew full well the swelling form and the steaming smell, Never a monk that wore a hood could better have guessed the very wood where the noble heart had stood at bay, weary and wounded at close of day. Sounded then the noisy glee of a reveling company, sprightly story, wicked jest, rated servant, greeted guest, flow of wine and flight of cork, 
stroke of knife and thrust of fork. But where the board was spread, grace, I ween, was never said. Pulling and tugging, the fisherman sat, and the priest was ready to vomit, and he hauled out a gentleman, fine and fat, with a belly as big as a brimming vat, and a nose as red as a comet. A capital stew, the fisherman said, with cinnamon and sherry. And the abbot turned away his head, for his brother was lying before him dead, the mayor of St. Edmund's Barry. There was the turning of keys and creaking of locks, as he took forth a bait from his iron box. It was a bundle of beautiful things, a peacock's tail and a butterfly's wings, a scarlet slipper, an auburn curl, a mantle of silk and a bracelet of pearl, and a packet of letters from whose sweet fold such a stream of delicate orders rolled, that the abbot fell on his face and fainted, and deemed his spirit was halfway sainted. Sounds seemed dropping from the skies, stifled whispers, smothered sighs, and the breath of vernal gales, and the voice of nightingales. But the nightingales were mute, envious when an unseen lute shaped the music of its chords into passion's thrilling words. Smile, lady, smile, I will not set upon my brow the coronet, till thou wilt gather roses white to wear round its gems of light. Smile, lady, smile, I will not see rivers and hastings bend the knee, till those bewitching lips of thine will bid me rise in bliss from mine. Smile, lady, smile, for who would win a loveless throne through guilt and sin, or who would reign o'er vale and hill if woman's heart were rebel still? One jerk, and there a lady lay, a lady wondrous fair, but the rose of her lip had faded away, and her cheek was as white and as cold as clay, and torn was her raven hair. Aha, said the fisher in merry guise, her gallant was hooked before, and the abbot heaved some piteous sighs, for oft he had blessed those deep blue eyes, the eyes of Mistress Shore. There was turning of keys and creaking of locks as he took forth a bait from his iron box. Many the cunning sportsman tried, many he flung with a frown aside. A minstrel's harp and a miser's chest, a hermit's cowl and a baron's crest, jewels of luster, robes of price, tomes of heresy, loaded dice, and golden cups of the brightest wine that was ever pressed from the burgundy vine. There was a perfume of sulphur and nitre as he came at last to a bishop's mitre. From top to toe the abbot shook as the fisherman armed his golden hook, and awfully were his features wrought by some dark dream or wakened thought. Look how the fearful felon gazes on the scaffold his country's vengeance raises, when the lips are cracked and the jaws are dry, with the thirst which only in death shall die. Mark the mariner's frenzied frown as the swirling wherry settles down, when peril has numbed the sense and will, though the hand and the foot may struggle still. Wilder far was the abbot's glance, deeper far was the abbot's trance, fixed as a monument still as air. He bent no knee, and he breathed no prayer. But he signed, he knew not why or how, the sign of the cross on his clammy brow. 
There was turning of keys and creaking of locks as he stalked away with his iron box. Oh ho, oh ho, the cock doth crow. It is time for the fisher to rise and go. Fair luck to the abbot, fair luck to the shrine. He hath gnawed in twain my choicest line. Let him swim to the north, let him swim to the south. The abbot will carry my hook in his mouth. The abbot had preached for many years, with as clear articulation as ever was heard in the House of Peers, against emancipation. His words had made battalions quake, had roused the zeal of martyrs, had kept the court an hour awake, and the king himself three quarters. But ever since that hour, tis said, he stammered and he stuttered, as if an axe went through his head, with every word he uttered. He stuttered o'er blessing, he stuttered o'er ban, he stuttered drunk or dry, and none but he and the fishermen could tell the reason why. Winthrop McWorth praised. Bodicea, an ode. When the British warrior queen, bleeding from the Roman rods, sought with an indignant mien counsel of her country's gods, sage beneath a spreading oak sat the druid, hoary chief, every burning word he spoke full of rage and full of grief. Princess, if our aged eyes weep upon thy matchless wrongs, tis because resentment ties all the terrors of our tongues. Rome shall perish. Write that word in the blood that she has spilt. Perish, hopeless and abhorred, deep in ruin as in guilt. Rome, for empire far renowned, tramples on a thousand states. Soon her pride shall kiss the ground. Hark, the gall is at her gates. Other Romans shall arise, heedless of a soldier's name. Sounds, not arms, shall win the prize. Harmony, the path to fame. Then the progeny that springs from the forests of our land, armed with thunder, clad with wings, shall a wider world command. Regions Caesar never knew, thy posterity shall sway. Where his eagles never flew, none invincible as they. Such the bard's prophetic words, pregnant with celestial fire, bending as he swept the chords of his sweet but awful lyre. She, with all a monarch's pride, felt them in her bosom glow, rushed to battle, fought, and died, dying, hurled them at the foe. Ruffians, pitiless as proud, heaven awards the vengeance due. Empire is on us bestowed, shame and ruin wait for you. William Cooper On the departure of Sir Walter Scott from Abbotsford for Naples, 1831. A trouble, not of clouds or weeping rain, nor of the setting sun's pathetic light, engendered hangs o'er Eidolon's triple height. Spirits of power assembled there complain for kindred power departing from their sight, while Tweed, Best pleased, enchanting a blithe strain, Saddens his voice again and yet again. Lift up your hearts, ye mourners, For the might of the whole world's good wishes with him goes. Blessings and prayers in nobler retinue, 
than sceptred king or laureled conqueror knows. Follow this wondrous potentate. Be true, ye winds of ocean and the midland sea, wafting your charge to soft Parthenope. By William Wordsworth End of Section 15 End of The Blue Poetry Book Edited by Andrew Lang